0: You're listening to episode 160 of the Writing Life podcast from the National Centre for Writing, a weekly podcast for anyone who writes. I'm Simon Jones. And I'm Steph McKenna. It is the 20th of August 2021 here in Norwich. Steph, what have we got on the show today?
1: We are very excited to have one of our favourite guests back on the podcast. It's Lewis Buxton, of course. Lewis was last with us last year, I think, during lockdown. We were talking all about Toast, which is his live poetry event and workshops project. Since then, he has published his first collection of poetry with Nine Arches Press called Boy in Various Poses. So I had the great pleasure of catching up with Lewis in person, no less, at Dragon Hall a couple of weeks ago. And we talked about the process of writing and publishing a first poetry collection, the experience of writing about manhood and sexuality and mental health, writing poems about sport, striking a balance when writing about private personal experiences, and just generally loved Lewis being a very funny person.
0: It's a really fun chat. And actually catching up with Lewis after you know a year of lockdown when we spoke to him early on about how that had affected some of his activities and practice and now kind of we're at the other end of it where he's at last now being able to get back into venues to to do events and teach and perform and yeah it's 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 heartening to hear that that's all kind of kicking back into gear
1: Absolutely, yeah. And I I had a wonderful time reading this poetry collection. And I myself admit that I don't read a lot of poetry. So, Boy in Various Poses was a real joy to read. And it's been very highly reviewed, and everyone's sort of praising it. There's lovely things to read on social media about it. As you say, it's very heartening to hear about.
0: Great. Well, let's hand straight over to you, chatting with Lewis a few weeks back.
1: So, Lewis Buxton, welcome back to the Writing Life podcast.
2: Hi, Stephanie McKenna, how are you?
1: I'm good, thank you. I'm very pleased to have you here. We've missed you. Mm-hmm, it's sweet. lovely to have you here. And, well, you're my first interview in person back in Dragon Hall as well for the podcast, which is a real honour, so thank you.
2: It's a dream to actually be in a room with gorgeous beams and orange chairs and other such things.
1: Some dying house plants in dying here. Dying house might plants. Soon. There is,
2: um, as a <laughs> special insight to listeners, there is a decrepit Christmas tree from, I would love to say, like December 2019.
1: It might even be older, you know. This mm. is behind the glamour of uh, mm-hmm. of the National Centre for Writing. There are such things as dying Christmas trees. Well again, sort of like room. behind
2: the glamour. Behind the, maybe that's a, a particularly good uh, metaphor for the writing life, something that starts <laughs> sort of spruced and wonderful, growing, nurtured, is then cut down, then just put in a shop dies. window. And then left to die in a staff. We won't
1: allow it to happen. No. It's gonna stay young and beautiful and green and lush forever. <laughs> this is quite a yeah, quite a metaphor. Right, so last time we spoke on the podcast, mm-hmm. because you were on the podcast with myself and Simon last Year, I think, at yeah, some think point I'm during the pandemic. Yeah, I think a year ago. Yes, so we were in our first national lockdown, mm-hmm. I believe, and we spent time discussing uh, what that experience was like and also your personal journey towards becoming a poet and also creating Toast, which is your live poetry event and workshops project. Mm-hmm. Since then, you've now published your first collection of poetry with Nine Arches. Uh, called Boy in Various Poses. So today I would love to talk to you a bit more about this because it's fairly hot off the shelves. It's only been mm. out for a few weeks, hasn't
2: it? Uh, almost exactly a month, oh. May, oh no, more than a month, May 20th it came out.
1: Time is time is flying already, isn't it? But
2: as now, the Christmas tree as shows.
1: the Christmas tree is showing.
2: We're gonna to have to keep that bit in about We're the Christmas to tree to. otherwise I'm gonna keep referencing it's it. It's not
1: gonna make any sense no. if you keep referencing the tree but I'm happy Mid-July. with it. Mid July. I think it paints a picture, mm. it's good. Firstly, tell us briefly about your journey towards writing and publishing this book. How did this collection of poems come to be?
2: Yeah, so like, I've been, (laughs) I do a lot of work in primary schools or Mm. secondary schools and like, kids always ask like, how long have you been writing poems? Mm. And it's a bit of a sort of chicken and egg question. (laughs) but. I've been I've been sort of writing these poems for a really long time. I like started mm-hmm. writing poems in earnest um, and like getting up on stage and reading them to people about 10 years ago. Mm. Um, and so this sort of feels like the culmination of, of 10 years of work in wow. one way or another. Um, however, like the actual poems that are in this book, I think um, I started writing about four years ago um, and then they've developed and changed and actually like the sort of bulk of them were part of a, an odd sort of uh, sprint uh, a couple of years ago where I just sort of like started writing these particular like, weird boxy prose poems that make up the majority of this collection. Um, and yeah, that's that, that's the sort of journey of it. Um, and it tells a sort of story, I suppose. And it's, it's a sort of uh, combination of a lot of my thinking on like gender and... Masculinity and like the multiplicity inherent in both of those categories, and um, the hope to to present boyhood, um, something I maybe think I'm slightly coming out of now at mm. twenty eight, um, one hopes, uh, <laughs> and uh, like to sort of like show that in in all its rainbow colours. Mm. So that's that's sort of how this came to be.
1: Yeah, and. As you say, these poems explore all the different types of boy you can be. So, for me personally, as a woman, I've spent a lot of time reading literature by women about the experience of being a woman. So, this is quite, reading this collection is quite different and significant for me personally to read because it's a collection of poems that focus more on manhood, Mm. male bodies, male sexuality, mental health, fatherhood, all of these things. Can you tell us a bit about your relationship to these things, themes, why they resonate with you and why you wanted to write about them for this collection? Mm. I think
2: that I have always struggled with like the concept of boyhood. Mm -hmm. Um, There are parts of it that I really enjoy. I like, I like the costume of it. I like wearing sort of boyish clothes. I like collared shirts, I like suits, I like um, beards. I like um, things that, that one would sort of like typically associate with boyhood or manhood. Um, uh, yet at the same time, I identify with a bunch of other things. I'm not mm. really interested in like uh, grouping them into like masculine and feminine, but um, I, I, I sort of idealize a lot of other things. I idealize stuff like dancing yeah. or um, stuff like singing or uh, performing in, in lots of different different ways. Um, and then I idealize a sort of like emotional intelligence that I see in other people. Um, but I've often felt restricted from as, uh, as a man, mm. like, or I felt like under patriarchy, those are things that we're not, supposed to uh, engage with talking to our friends uh being sort of candid about mental health exploring uh what like a broader view even of like heterosexuality might be um and and so like that's so th- those are the two sort of sides i've come from one which is like oh i love all these like fixtures of manhoods i like peacoats and i like I like um, Doc Martens, and I like I like these these very specific things. Um, I like going to the barbers and like having my beard trimmed and stuff. Uh, and I and and I like uh, ideas of makeup, and I like ideas of um, vulnerability. Uh, those are places that I am actually also quite comfortable. Um, and so in the book, it's an attempt to bring those things together, which I think society often deems irreconcilable. And so I'm like, no, why, why can't like, why can't I be a boy who wears makeup and, and Doc Martens um, who uh, sort of rather than shrugging off a gender binary enti- entirely or like trying to find any sort of like answers for like, how does a boy become a man? Yeah. Just asking more questions about it. Like asking more questions about like what, um, what and, and that's what all these poems are. They're all just questions about what a boy can, should, might be.
1: Yeah, so they're exploring and asking questions rather than trying to come up with a set answer.
2: Yeah, I, I think I think I'd be very if if anyone is if anyone ever goes to poetry for answers, which is a legitimate thing for, for if if that's what you do, then great. It's not how I've ever mm. approached it. Or actually, no, that's that's not true at all. It is how I've approached it, unsuccessfully. Yeah, that like to go to a poem and be like, how is this going to like inform my life? You know, I've I've often like toyed with the idea of like getting like lines tattooed on me. And then I'm like, nah, cause I'm, I'm going to question that yeah. later, which again might be the point of the tattoo. Mm. But um, I, like, I like the idea of uh, masculinity, manhood, boyhood, whatever word you want to use, rather than being the set of rules that it mm-hmm. currently is under patriarchy, instead being a set of questions. Yeah. Like, do you want to wear that? Do you want to smell like that? Yeah. Do you want to eat that? Do you want to perform like that? Those those are much more interesting questions and I think they allow for a lot more freedom and a lot more choice uh, than is currently acceptable uh, for for men. Obviously I speak very specifically from like a white, straight, mm. cisgendered perspective of maleness and, and boyhood, um, but I hope that in questioning, that's what opens it out to mm. Men, women, non-binary folk, whoever it is, is who is experiencing gender in this particular way. Mm. Like, let's ask some questions. Like, Judith Butler talks about like what happens if we radically question the categories of identity that we've been given. Um, and that's sort of all I'm just trying to do. Just asking some questions,
1: posing some questions, no answers. I like that actually, and the idea of sort of posing questions and the complexity around masculinity and you know boyhood and as you mentioned do you feel like they're being explored in poetry and in literature maybe more generally more now than ever before or are these do you feel like you're writing in a space that you're not coming across many other writers who are writing about these things this is almost coming from Mm. a place of ignorance for me actually Mm. um I just wondered whether you felt like you were writing alongside other people exploring yeah, these things? Or whether you'd had conversations with other poets about mm. these ideas? I, th-
2: I think a lot of people are writing um, about it and have always written about it. I think there is, um, like in, in lots of different genres, like all lots of the ideas that I've talked about, like they were being talked about in the 80s by like R.W. Connell and like Michael Messner and Michael Kimmel. Like, they, like they're like... American or Australian academics. Like again, Judith Butler was talking about this, like Susan Sontag was talking Mm -hmm. about things related to this, you know, with stuff that I talk about with like illness and bodies and stuff like that. Um, So like, I don't think that I am, and and now this like particular vocabulary that we have around gender um, is definitely being explored. Mm. So like Andrew McMillan, uh, Caleb Femi, Yomi Shode, like, uh, people... And then, like, a generation before that, like, Mark Doty or Sharon Olds or Bell Hooks. Like, these people... Dennis Smith. Like, these people are, like, making stuff. Um, And I think currently it's been marked as, like, this is about masculinity or this is about uh, mental health. I always struggle when I think about, like, um, when somebody asks, like, what is this about? Or even when somebody tells me what um, the book is about... And I am always more inclined towards what, um, I saw Margaret Atwood talk once, and somebody, a kid in the audience, asked her what her books were about. <laughs> and somebody said, uh, a kid asked "Like, what's your next book about? And she said, oh, it's about 300 pages. Amazing. And I think that's a much better response. Um, and re- I can't do that. Like if somebody asked me what my poem is about, and I say, I don't know, about 14 lines. Yeah. like. Um, <laughs> I'm not Margaret Atwood. I can't pull that off. But um, oh, I don't know. Maybe. Well, <laughs> no. <nah, nah. laughs> I've seen, I've seen her charisma, man. I don't. I don't have that. But like, I. I think that it is. I think currently these ideas and like um, a book like mine definitely falls within a sort of category. You know, on a bookshelf. Yeah. There'll be other things that someone can be like, oh, it's a bit like this or it's a bit like that. Um. Uh. And I know, like, where a lot of my influences come from. Um, You know, like, the sort of Max Porter's, Maggie Nelson's, um, Terence Hayes's of the world. Um, So so I know what has sort of, like, given me permission to write like this. I know that, like, Andrew McMillan's poem, Urination, gave me huge permission to write about, like, hemorrhoids in the way that I do. Or, like, Terence Hayes... um, has a line that is sort of paraphrased in this about like um, the deeper the wound, the more heroic the healing. Like I would never be able to write something like anything like I've written in this without Hayes writing something like that. But that's just um, the sort of like what Ian McMillan calls the great continuum of literature. Mm. You know, there's um, Shakespeare and there's Hardy and then there's Hayes and then there's you. Um, And that's what you can tell kids as well.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, You can be part of this in whatever large or small way you want to be. So yeah, in answer to your question, yes, I do feel like there's other stuff mm. about this out there. Um, I and again, I say the same thing I say to kids: like, I hope there's nothing like this. Yeah, like there are lots of poets who, who I like are, are deeply impactful upon me. I hope this is a unique thing and explores things in and lets you into just like because it does it just lets you into places like uh, of my life very Mm. specifically even if i do engage with like sharon alza's like apparently personal Mm. like it's all apparently personal it's not my dad or it's not me or it's Mm. not i whatever um but like that is what will make it unique lovely and grateful to you to say that like it it is something sort of new and refreshing Mm. to you Mm. um yeah, yeah, that and,
1: very much comes from a personal expect- uh, perspective as well. So I know that asking that question might sound silly of me no, to No, no, not at all.
2: Because I'm interested where, yeah. like, like where a reader might see boy in various poses. Mm. Like, like who, who, when people say like, oh, it sounds like this or it sounds like mm, this, I'm like, mm. great, lovely, what a, yeah. what a joy.
1: Yeah, but I think it's just because I am obviously occupying a space where I'm talking about or. I don't know engaging more with mostly themes of femininity mm. and of womanhood so for me I feel like I haven't personally read as many books or as many poems about boyhood and mm. about masculinity
2: mm. and it but it's the sort of thing once you start looking for it yeah there's a there's you, you suddenly feel thoroughly unoriginal <laughs> um uh, but it's about, like, embracing that unoriginality and being like, that's cool, this yeah. sits in a continuum, this sits in a spectrum of light of different artists working with a with a similar thing. Because I think about it, like, not just in terms of poetry as well, like, obviously in terms of academia, so, like, some of the people I mentioned before, but, like, um, visual art as well. Okay, like, yeah. um, uh, someone like Jenny Saville, mm-hmm. like, working with bodies, working with, like, I, I try... <laughs> I like asked my editor if we could get a Jenny Saville print for the front cover and she was like, no. No, it's
1: not within the budget. (laughs)
2: Um, uh, But like something like that, something like um, uh, Wolfgang Tillman, who is like, uh, uh, do you know that Olivia Lang book, Crudo? Mm -hmm. You know, the front cover of it, that's like pink crab meat. That's Wolfgang Tillman's um, photo. But then he's also got these, he's got an incredible photograph called Grief Bar which is um, made by like exposing light and chemicals onto photographic paper. And so it creates these sort of like yellow, red, green, blue, whatever they are um, sort of splotches. And then there are these sort of like black, almost like if you've ever seen like a hairline fracture on an Mm -hmm. X-ray, it looks like that. And they're sort of bodily and colorful and all of those things all at once. Mm -hmm. And they sort of exist in the sort of background of of these poems. And I like the idea of like the boy poems are all prose poems. So they're Mm -hmm. these sort of like little boxes and i like the idea of them being sort of like little little frames for yeah that's for, true. for something for like a, a new portrait of boy each time perhaps mm. um but yeah like all that stuff and then like you know albums i was listening to i lo- i listened to like a lot of like um what some may deem trashy country <laughs> pop Love and like a lot of like the phonics around i don't know like carrie underwood lyrics
1: brilliant uh
2: are like you know, i'd like i'd like listen to them and yeah. then and then go and write i don't listen to music and write at the same time but like that's all part of i love how like you create something drawing
1: the influences from all over the place it's not just
2: yeah uh... i try to make like a list once of like all the different things and it's everything it's like um there's sort of rapidity of stuff like john cooper clark mm-hmm. being like bam 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 and like heavy rhymes and all of that stuff and then, like, but then again, you, you fall into continuums because you're, like, well, John Cooper Clark, like, influences, like, the Arctic Monkeys. And then I listened to, you know, I've listened to the Arctic Monkeys since I was a boy. Yeah. And, like, that album, Whatever People Say I Am, That's What I'm Not. Like, it's all, sort of like, it, I, I, I love it. I love in that, like, the way, um, uh, like, objects are sort of, like, dropped into the lyrics. Like, we might wear classic Reeboks or knackered Converse or tracky bottoms tucked in socks. Yeah. Like that's exactly the sort yeah. of thing I want to go with, go for with like a poem, like there's a poem in here called, like, um, called a boy, a boy is a poet. And mm-hmm. it's like, li- and at one point it lists all the things that he might wear. And it's like skinny jeans and Doc Martens and baggy shirts, all the things that I'm wearing currently. And, <laughs> and that, that, that's exactly that sort of like, um, translation of like, how, how do, how do I like, a white boy from North London sort of ex- like, take some of the stuff of those sort of like, particularly like Sheffield-based bands yeah, in the yeah. noughties and imitate them in poetry without sounding like the kooks. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah, so <laughs> specific that, like- Specific
1: to a time and place. But.
2: Yeah, really specific to a time and place. And like, that's a that's a real tension in, in writing it and a lot of like the editorial work where my editor was like, are people gonna get this? Is this mm. too specific? because obviously like within the specific exists the universal in in writing and reading but like also being like you can't like you just can't mention like that place around the corner from where you grew up or you could i don't know <laughs> you could but but it's always that balancing act yeah. but yeah so that's that's the the wide spectrum of stuff that that I would watch and listen to and read and exist amongst um, in an attempt to to create this 60 page book
1: (laughs) there's a lot packed in there i feel like you can make a poem out of that list of things actually maybe you should jot down Mm. every single thing that influences you in a day
2: uh... but also like weird stuff influences you Mm. right so um i'm trying to think of a good example uh in in this book but there's like there's a poem at the sort of heart of this called frightened rabbit i love that
1: poem oh thanks
2: but like you know there's like stuff about David Beckham in there. There's stuff about, um, like, like um, I was listening to John Ronson's podcast, mm-hmm. uh, it was The Butterfly Effect. Yeah,
1: yeah. And he
2: was talking about like the, um, it's, it's about like the porn industry specifically. And he talks about like the rise in, like um, access to online pornography and the rise in erectile dysfunction. And I just remember, like, hearing the phrase rise in erectile dysfunction. I was like, that's funny. <laughs> Taking that. Like, no, like, and he, and like, John Ronson is a clever dude, and he did not, he didn't, I don't think, or maybe he did. Maybe it was just that subtle. But I was like, I'm having that. It's going in a poem. And like, you know, th- like, friend, like um, there are references to Friends in here, like the TV mm-hmm. series Friends, which I think is an interesting, like fascinating way of like mapping manhood from 1994 to 2004. Mm-hmm um in like the various ways that joey ross and chandler Mm. interact with each other and their partners and themselves and so like what i'm saying is that this is all the things that makes my netflix account tax deductible yeah because i've got i i watch all this stuff and i you know i've written a bunch of poems recently about vikings based entirely off the Amazon Prime series. Amazing. Vikings.
1: My partner's going to love to read that. But
2: also like, well, no, because it makes (laughs) it sound like I've read these like old Norse texts and I haven't. I just, I just watched a thing. But yeah. (laughs) That's
1: great though as well, because it is that kind of tension between the universality of poetry and then also taking very specific things and taking mm. the everyday and the I mean I use this very the high and the low influences as well you yeah. know what I mean when I say I that as what, well yeah being...
2: I'm, I'm sort of like like some of some of my t- two poets that I was reading recently one is uh, Victoria Kennefic, who wrote a book called Eat or We Both Starve which is incredible and like she's done this, this amazing Researching and it's about like Catholicism and belief and sacraments and eating and like eating disorders and all of those, mm. those things all at once. And like a very particular thing she has done is like she has researched saints. And so she's found out about all these saints who have like gone through various different sort of like, um, I can't even remember what you call them, but like they've like flagellated themselves through eating or not eating. And so she's done this very what one, what one might consider high brow mm. research. And then the next week I was talking to a poet called Jenna Clake, who's written a book called Museum of Ice Cream. Um, and she has a poem in there, which is, you know, lots of people have poems like after, like after Jacques Derrida or yes, after yeah. Roland Barthes. And she has a poem, which is after The O.C., as in the 2004 TV series created and directed by McGee. Mm. Like, and uh, which birthed the immortal character of Ryan from The O.C. Uh-huh. Um, otherwise known as Ben Seacrest, I think. And he, but in anything that he's ever in, his name is Ryan from the OC Oh, me. of course. Um, so like, yeah, that's what I'm saying is that like, Jenna has written this incredible poem mm. that takes you on this journey and it's all about basically the OC mm. versus Victoria writing these poems about like Catholicism and, and sainthood. Mm. And both of those things are equally valid. Yes. Like both of those things are interesting and how those writers got to where they are. Here's my pet theory that I've only just properly thought up, Steph. Maybe it's a matter of, like, what you pay attention to, Mm -hmm. right? So, like, we get told at school especially that, like, poetry is difficult or boring. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason people find it difficult or boring is that as an art form, very little of it um, allows you to, all of it pretty much asks you to pay attention to it. -hmm. You have to sort of like be active in in poetry. Maybe this is why, um, like, I come from like a performance background. It's why maybe people find like performance such a useful way into poems Mm -hmm. um, because it's slightly less active. Mm -hmm. Like you can be a sort of more passive audience member, um, and someone reads a poem to you, like we do when we're children, which Mm -hmm. is such a delightful thing. And I I want to continue throughout, Mm -hmm. like you know, my life as as a poet. Um, versus something like TV, which broadly happens to you, or um, films, they tend to happen to you. Podcasts happen to you. You you, uh, you know, you, you can be a more passive recipient of yeah. them. But actually with all of these art forms, if you choose to pay attention to them, yeah. if you choose to pay attention to the OC, or you choose to pay attention to a John Ronson podcast, um, then... Then you're reading it. Mm-hmm. You're engaging with it on exactly the same terms. I would argue that you um, engage with poetry, and it's mm. the same skills I think that you're learning and using. Um, and 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 that's that's why I think it's delightful. And again, that's sort of how I hope this book gets presented. Like all the poems are really short
1: mm-hmm. because
2: I I have a really short attention span, and <laughs> I I want them to be in and out really quickly. But it also means there's all this space around the poem for like a reader to fill with their thoughts. Like mm. if, you, if you think something about these poems, like write it in the book, like make it your own, Make be, be like an active part of the reading, writing mm. process, be a creative reader. Um, at the same time, sometimes just switch off and watch telly. Yeah. Like you don't have to theorize over everything or read everything, mm. but I sometimes think it makes more fun to do it that way.
1: Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. I was just thinking, like, in my personal life, when I review films and, like, books and TV and things, sometimes I watch something and I think, oh, I didn't like that or it was fine. I don't have much to say about this, so I don't Mm. know how we're going to fill any time. And then as soon as I start engaging with someone else and actually... I don't know, paying a bit more attention to it, as you say, like 45 minutes have passed. And it's like, how have we spoken for so long about this thing that I said I had no opinion or thoughts about? And actually, I've now pulled apart so many layers. It's amazing.
2: But you and I specifically have done exactly this with um, what I think is probably one of the Greatest pieces of art of the 21st, if not the 20th and the 21st century, uh, the Jason Statham film *The Meg*.
1: Oh yes, we spent a very long time talking about it. So like,
2: meg. but but like I like I'm being a bit facetious about that. <laughs> but like, *The Meg* is a delightful film. It is. If anyone has never seen it, it's about Jason Statham battling a 70, 80 foot shark. It's huge,
1: a um, megalodon.
2: A megalodon. It's a
1: megalodon. It's a megalodon. I learned about megalodons. I learned about megalodons. But I learned about, do I dinosaurs. Learn about megalodons.
2: Yeah. My, um, my partner, who is also a writer, has this incredible poem which takes a line from that film. Oh. Um, and she has this poem called That Living Fossil Ate My Friend, oh, which I is love just that. one of the best That's lines. That's
1: wonderful, yeah. I could
2: never write that. Mm. I could never write my li- That Living Fossil Ate My Friend. Mm. So, yeah, if you come away from this podcast with anything, please. I hope it's not
1: just watch the Meg, the Meg but no,
2: I don't add care. it to your list. Buy the book if you want to, but watch <laughs> the Meg.
1: Your publicist if will you, be thrilled if by you, this. If
2: you have a choice, and Jane from Nine Archers, if you are listening, I stand by this. If you have a choice between buying my book, Boy in Various Poses from the Nine Archers press <laughs> website, or you have the choice to get a Netflix submission, a subscription or buying the Meg on DVD, if, if this is like a financial problem for you, which I completely understand... By the Meg.
1: <laughs> by the book. By the no, by the book. By the Meg. By the book. <laughs> just very quickly, actually, when uh, going back to what you were just talking about before the Meg, um, <laughs> do you ever think about the way that um, the experience of reading this collection might change over time, say, if someone picked it up in 10 years' time and um. didn't get some of those references? Do you ever has that ever i mean maybe it doesn't matter it might not matter at all but do you ever think about that uh
2: yeah it's terrifying (laughs) it's 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 scary in a context of like um ever developing and uh, one hopes like improving narratives around gender right Mm. there is a there's a there's a part of me which is like i sort of hope this is outdated in 10 years (laughs) I sort of hope in ten years someone was like, I mean, why is he even using those words? Yeah, we don't
1: use those words anymore. Like
2: yeah. and 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 that that's coming coming all the way back to the idea of like questioning rather than mm. making statements or or mm. providing like an answer for like patriarchy or um, sexism or anything like that. Like being like, I am not I I can't fix that. There's mm. the um but as like somebody who is making art in the world, it is my job to ask questions. And um so yeah, I do think about like how how it'll be received in, in, in ten years' time. I am quite conscious that this is this is like a young man's book. Yeah. Like it's a book like it's in the title, it's about boys. Um
1: not about men, it's about boys. It's
2: about boys. Mm. It's as the philosopher and musician Lizzo says, it's about big boys, itty bitty boys, inner city boys, Mississippi boys. And um and like, it's, it's like, I, so in terms of like, do I think about it in, in 10 years time, I'm, I'm caught in, a, in another fun binary. Either I engage in ridiculous um, ideas about like, but what about 400 years time? When everyone's thinking about like this, this one book that we found and it's just incredible and it's the thing that's endured it's, called boy, Capsule, in, it's yeah. called boy in various poses and that's 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 like good how how would it ever work like that um and then there's another part of me which is like this is ephemeral like it's only mm. it exists in like this very specific it's not a pandemic book like it's not i wrote most of it before the pandemic but like um it, it's it's a book very peculiar to like someone who who was born in 1993 mm. and like you know uh, grew up with the Arctic Monkeys and, mm. and like you know that sort of stuff, um, and so yeah, there is there is the possibility that those those references will date. Mm. Um, I'm cool with that.
1: Yeah.
2: Like I doubt I'm going to be getting royalty checks in ten years time.
1: <laughs> hey, you never know. Don't tell me. You, you so never sure. know
2: exactly, right? But but again, that that's that's it. It's much easier to like ask it as a question yeah. and be like, will I get royalty checks in ten years time? Um, and I would I would yeah I would love to see this... I mean, like, yeah, I'd love to see, like, better stuff than this book get written, right? I want, I want, like, this thinking to go further, both from me and from everybody else. But yeah, that's, that's what I think about it. It's a good question.
1: I'm going to ask you about sport, oh, yeah. which is another theme yeah, yeah, yeah. Sport. within this book. Um, I couldn't speak to you about sport for a long time because I've just, <laughs> I mean, I watched the football the other week. Yeah. Uh, Fairweather football fan, just great. because it was the year is great. Um, so there are a number of poems in this collection that are about sports. Yeah. Why does poetry for you work so well as a medium to talk about and explore rugby, football? Mm. It's, you know, the delicate nature of writing poetry. Mm. I think that's quite a... An old school image of kind of this poet, you know.
2: Yeah, that it's sort of.
1: With a quill writing yeah, about yeah. nature and, you know, very delicate, delicate yeah, yeah. images, but it is contrasted, you know, with something very physical.
2: So uh, there's sort of two answers to this question. The first one is that I don't actually find poetry works that well oh, for, for writing about sport. Mm. I find it really difficult. Oh. Um, Because it's really, it's really hard to like find sport can, sport is often this sort of like overwhelming um, collection of moments. Like there's so many different things happening at once. Um, You know, when you watch football, yeah, you can just watch the ball if you want to. But there are 22 players on Mm. that pitch and a referee and a crowd. Like, there's loads of stuff happening. I tried watching a horse race the other day for the first time, and I mean, like, it, that is barbaric, but like, it, there's so much happening. Yeah. So, like, and for poetry, poetry, which is broadly moments, mm. like, um, that's a really difficult thing to capture. Yeah. Um, so, in terms of like writing about sport, I think that's really, really difficult. And I re- there are so many incredible sport writers, like uh, Nicky Bandini or like Jonathan Wilson, like, who who managed to capture moments and I think that's incredible uh so the first thing to say is that like I don't always think that they that it it works that well the other thing to say is that I think poetry is entirely the perfect mode in which to write about sport um and that's because the way in which I view poetry is that it's an embodied act Mm. like again coming from a performance background like I think about poems coming from like me and I Mm. think about speaking them and I think about like how my body how they impact on on my body like the sort of there's a um line in here which is from uh Wolfgang Goethe Goethe, Goethe. um uh, and he says every color does some violence to the eye mm. and I like the idea of sort of like every poem doing some some impact to the body mm. like um Roland Barthes talks about it with photographs as well he talks about I think it's called the punctum the the puncture like the the, like a photograph can invoke a memory that sort of penetrates Mm -hmm. you somehow and it is physical and it is of the body um and so in that way what i realized with a lot of these is that i couldn't write a poem about watching football i couldn't write a poem about watching rugby or watching running i can write poems about running or about playing football or about um uh, playing rugby or um, like watching a moment of boxing, the, the critic Mark Edmondson makes a really interesting distinction. He says like, um, uh, you play football, you play rugby, you play tennis, you don't play boxing. Like if all sport is an, an imitation of war, boxing is war. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's a blood sport, right? And, um, and so in that way, like because poetry is an embodied act, I have found it very easy to write poems about um, about running or about football. The other thing is that there's a, there's a vernacular for all of those things, right? Um, there are there are lots of, like, really tangible things that you can hold on to. There are goalposts, there are nets, there are balls, there are grass, there's mud, there's um, all the other bit. Like, I've, if there was one thing that was like, stay true of all of my work since I was like 18 it's that I'm fascinated with the body mm. I love I love putting like even stuff like the fact that like knuckles rhymes with muscles or like hip and lip
1: mm. like
2: that you you find these like very um I'm sure there's like et- etymological reasoning for it but like um these wonderful sort of uh like semantic coincidences around the body um and also the minute you put like if you put a fist in a poem someone is like oh i can make a fist so you've, if you say cheek they they think about their own cheek mm, mm. like it's a really it's a it's a way of like engaging in like sport in particular um and especially the sort of sports that i talk about in this broadly they're sort of like you know it's a it's stuff about like uh going for a jog and not being very good at it or it's about um uh being you know uh being shouted at by a pe teacher and like, I think we've all sort of had that, yeah. like in some way or another. And, um, you know, we've not all played rugby, we've not all played football, but like we've, we've all experienced that breathlessness. Mm. We've, we know what that, that pain in your thigh feels <laughs> like when you get hit by something in oh, winter. Yeah. So like, yeah, that's, that's I think why I'm, I'm so interested and in why I think it, it works really well. Uh, did you enjoy the football?
1: Yeah. i start... i I prepare myself to start disconnecting near the end because I was like, this isn't going to... I just know this not gonna isn't going to go well. But...
2: Um... Well, so, like, football Football is interesting. But again, it comes back to, like... Um, I would find and do sometimes find football very boring when I choose not to actively participate in it. Yeah. yeah. Like oh, it, yeah, there's
1: something to do... With, I mean, my partner was... He, doesn't watch football generally, yeah. but he like went to the pub for these. Yeah, and he yeah. said, the second you're in that setting, he got so into it yeah, and was yeah. banging on tables and getting involved. Cause there was just, once you become an active, like yeah even an active viewer, it was like.
2: But again, it, and, it, and like there's a gender thing as well that I think boys get taught how to actively engage yes. with football. They get taught the that horrible stereotype of like explaining the offside rule to mm. someone is is a is a good example of like why would somebody understand something that they've never been taught about
1: yeah
2: yeah um, also it's not important
1: yeah
2: like but um but like and, and I, I find that in two ways that like I find football more interesting because I understand it yeah. really well mm-hmm. and i can i look at how formations are shifting and i can find that interesting over 90 minutes but 90 minutes is a long time it
1: is a long time a really you know i always time. think it's really short like it's only 90 minutes and, and then you're watching it good lord the it's other a side long of
2: that time. is that like i don't understand rugby mm. or a uh, snooker but i watch quite a lot of it because i sit there and i go i don't need to know the rules and i find that incredibly relaxing mm. i find it incredibly relaxing to watch somebody else work hard yeah. in a way that i'm like are, are they winning splendid good doing a good job um and maybe maybe that's the maybe i hope somebody thinks the same thing about poetry mm. and like reading this book like you don't have to realize that these are prose you don't poems. have to understand
1: it all you don't you have know. to
2: yeah don't try and understand it you know. like one of the joyful things is is like the mystery in them mm. right if you hate 90 percent of these poems that's okay mm. like that's why it's nine pound 99 mm. like you you know that the, you, you you pay for the privilege of not liking most of it um but like you, you you will find hopefully something in there. One or two, you know, one or two goals mm. will go in. Um, but also, I, th- I think also more, more specifically, if you want to draw this analogy that like, you don't need to recognize that some of these are sonnets. Mm. Like, that's not important. Like, hopefully they work on you in a, in a different way. Um, you don't have to, go back to the references, you don't have to get all the references.
1: Mm. If you mm. don't get
2: the reference to Chandler from Friends, absolutely fine yeah I hope the poem is designed in such a way that you will still enjoy it in the same way I still enjoy watching um like Nigel Owens shouting at <laughs> rugby players yeah. and explaining rules to them that I'm like I have You're no have idea to sit on
1: Wikipedia the whole yeah, time like you don't have
2: to do that up. like skip over it and enjoy it mm. like in that way like shift in and out of that passive and active interaction mm. with a with a piece of art or a piece of sport or whatever it is mm. and in that very roundabout way i've answered your question on why do i write about sport
1: i love that how much of you is in the boy of boy in various poses do you you kind of briefly alluded before mm. we started this chat um to, it sounded like it was quite a not a difficult journey but a very personal journey writing mm. you know exhausting to a point maybe, yeah. a very difficult journey writing these poems and I am always fascinated between this kind of balance of, you know, the private, the personal mm. and, you know, how much of yourself that you keep private when in your writing, how much of your own experiences you're using to draw from mm. in these poems and what what is that balance like for you?
2: I think it's particularly difficult as a performer mm. um, because if you get up on stage and you say I, someone believes it's you yeah. immediately. Mm. They, um, Because I don't have any of the sort of apparatus of theatre, mm. so like there is, no, there is no sense in which I'm playing a character mm. or people don't understand it or read it as a character. So I've got to be sort of careful about that. Um,
1: there's something about poetry, isn't there? Because if you were writing a novel, people wouldn't assume that every character within the novel is based on your no. own very personal experiences. I don't know and, if it's... And it is, yeah.
2: it is weird. I mean, like, within sort of, like, what we might call, like, the lyric tradition, like, uh, the sort of confessional poems, everything from sort of, you know, Wordsworth. Who I wanted to mention earlier as well, when you talked about, like, the sort of different kinds of... Um, poets, the sort of delicate craft Mm. of poetry, there was a really good book by Alison Bechdel um, called, oh my god, what's it called? It's about exercising, and I've now completely forgotten what it's called. But she writes about Wordsworth, and she's like, actually, Wordsworth was super into sport. Like, he's into, like, walking. He robustly walks. And, like, Coleridge robustly walks, and then robustly does a lot of opium. Um, (laughs) I don't do the latter. Okay, But... um, Uh, in answer to your question about like how much of me is in in there um, there is some very direct stuff so like uh, there's a line in one of the poems uh, that is a direct quote from one of my school reports Mm. which is um, one of my school reports read Lewis is seven he has the mind of a 20 year old he has the temper of a 2 year old um and so there's stuff there there's stuff that like writing within the framework of like a boy so like all the prose poems that are all about a boy none of them ever say I I never mm-hmm. say I do this um uh, was really useful in being able to talk about things that I feel shame about things I feel embarrassed about whether they're like bodily things health things but also allowed me to like reimagine things like reimagine like Oh, but what if that had gone down that way? What if I had kissed that girl? What mm-hmm. if I had um, gone to that party? What if I had you know, done, done these things? Um, so they allowed me that freedom to be as fictional as I am truthful. Um, Caroline Bird, who is a phenomenal poet, says of a lot of her poems, she says, oh, they're all true, but there are no facts. And I think that's probably what I'm going to tell you about this book. Mm. It's all true. Mm. There are no facts. Mm. Um, except the ones I've just given you. Okay. Like, um, and, and I I like being playful with this. I don't think poetry has any responsibility to be true. Mm. or Sorry, I don't think poetry has any responsibility to be completely honest with you all of the time. I think there are mm. potentially sort of three registers in which you can write poems. You can be true, you can be false, or you can be strange. Mm. Um, and I'm, Broadly, this is strange. In the strange I hope. Yeah. Do you think it's strange? Yeah,
1: brilliantly strange.
2: Great, cool.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of transformation, you know, happening. There's lots of boys mm. turning into yeah. animals. There's lots of animal imagery and yeah. Yeah, boys turning into cuckoos, into birds. Mm. into. But there's also lots of animals being pulled apart. It's quite visceral. Mm. There's taxidermy. There's Phil dressing a rabbit. I kind of... Oh, I yeah. loved the tension between those two pages so, as well.
2: What might be fun is I could read you Field Dressing a Rabbit and then I could tell you a quick story about could it. Could you
1: please? Yeah, sure. I really loved that poem, actually.
2: So again, um, I'll tell you one story before and then one story afterwards. Uh, this poem came from uh, watching a Netflix series called Last Chance You," which oh. is about American football uh, being played at junior colleges across the States. Mm. Um and the way in which particular like, behavioural issue boys or boys with lower prospects um, go and play junior college football in the hopes of, at some point, getting into the NFL. It's a quite complicated system. But, yeah, this is just off of one, what one defensive linesman, so, like, the big dudes who smash into each other, um, said about, like, what he did in his his free, his free time. He said he, he was a hunter. And so I was like, oh, that's, that's fascinating, like... You do these two things and like, yeah, so this poem is called Field Dressing a Rabbit. The defensive linesman does another 10 reps. He's put on 20 pounds since last season. Now a rabbit, trussed up in uniform before being cut from sternum to perineum. The dark smell of his offal across the field and his body steams as his back thumps against grass and he does another 20 crunches. The coach pulls out his guts, turning his belly into muscle, skinning him in the heat, unseeming the tendon from bone, cutting at his hindquarters, the dark pink back straps, the best parts, ignoring how tender he could be. Um, that poem uh, won a competition called the Winchester Poetry Prize. And after it won, my grandma found out that it won. And uh, she said, oh, can you send me that poem? So I sent her the poem. And the next time I saw her, she informed me categorically that it was, and I quote, not her favourite of my poems. (laughs) A review which she's... Some friendly criticism there. She's extended that review to the entire book. (laughs) Though she continues to buy it for her friends, hairdressers and delivery men, I think.
1: So she must be very proud, even if she doesn't...
2: Proud and confused, yeah, yeah. I think is is probably. I feel accurate. like that's
1: fairly typical of most older relatives, isn't it? Proud but confused. Yeah,
2: yeah. I think they. Um, it's it, but again that thing about like truth and like um, what what of like me does to somebody that I know. You know, mm-hmm. we're having a vaguely formal conversation, but we know each other quite well, and like um, especially when discussing stuff like mental health or stuff like. Um, Uh, like or or physical health or relationships or anything like that um, that you put in in a book and that might confuse people close to you what I would hope is that um, for strangers I'm like it's not your responsibility to take care of my mental health Mm -hmm. or um, to wonder about whether any of these things are true of -hmm. of me it's about how true they are for you Mm -hmm. Um, and for people who are close to me I'd be like I hope that we are close enough that I've already told you about this stuff. And so, like, um, it's not news to you that, like, I am an anxious person or that I have this thing wrong with me, quote-unquote. But, like, Mm. um, but, yeah, so that's an interesting line. But there is still a responsibility, especially when you bring other people into it, right? Mm. Like, when you bring fathers into it or mothers or whatever. Um, And, again, I've just had, like, comms have been says that you shouldn't care about it, and he's like, he said, you just, just don't care. If you put your aunt in a poem, put your aunt in a poem. What's she gonna do? Um, I'm less of that inclination, yeah. and I do, you know, I call my dad, and I'm like, uh, so this, uh, I'm gonna write this, or I've written this. What do you think? Etc. Mm. Broadly, he, we have a very good, very communicative relationship now, and broadly, he just comes back with spelling corrections. Oh,
1: good. That's very good but, of him. But yeah, proofreading really. Isn't yeah. It? I was going to ask, do you have any relatives or friends who come back and say, is this about me or is this, have you had that conversation?
2: No, no. I think that um, they either know very explicitly it's mm. about them um, or they, they notice there's enough in there that you're like, oh, that's clearly fiction. Yeah. Because like, there's, stuff, there's stuff that I have genuinely heard from mm. other people. And I'm like, I'm just going to say that in my voice yeah. and see what happens.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, more often than not people say like oh you should write a poem about me so like um my partner was she didn't say it in quite that sort of sycophantic (laughs) tone of voice but she at one in one draft of this she was saying like there aren't like any poems about me and she knows that i've written poems about her and i was like okay and so now there are several poems about her or about us that involve doing weird striptease farting in bed
1: and
2: um, watching a cat tear a mouse apart. But she wished she
1: never asked.
2: Well, exactly. (laughs) And so you're sort of like, well, them's the cards that got dealt in that particular moment of writing a poem. Mm. And again, it's this thing when, so uh, an important edit that got brought in with this is there is a a line about someone almost pissing themselves. And that almost was added by the concerned party to be like, I don't want people to think I actually pissed myself. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, that's, um, that is a line that you walk when you're like trying to introduce other people into your work. And I imagine that might be a little bit easier if it's fiction, but even if it's fiction, we've seen like a bunch of stuff go down recently with like the short story Cat Person, Mm -hmm. which was Mm
1: -mm.
2: apparently entirely fictional. And then someone was like, no, this is parts of my life. And that's that's an important thing to like to honor and to respect that like you're having an impact on people, mm. and your art is not more important than other people's feelings.
1: You mentioned editing just then. What, mm. what was the what was your experience of going through publication? So the editing mm. and the publication of this collection. Have you worked closely with an editor like this before? Was this quite a new experience for you?
2: I think I've always been in communities. Like I believe very much that. Um, Writing, making art of any kind shouldn't be about competition. It should be about community. Mm. So I've always been part of communities that like feedback on one another, Mm -hmm. that like exchange notes, that share stuff with one another. Um, The extreme of that is like going into the sort of um, uh, the workshop, uh, which like comes from uh, the Iowa University. There was the Iowa writing program. Which is a very famous workshop, it gets mimicked at many universities around the country. Um, and that I did not find a useful experience at all when it comes to editing, because basically what you do is you present three poems to 15 people, um, and once a week they tear your work apart, m- not unlike the rabbit in my poems being torn apart. And I didn't find that useful at all, more than anything else, because it's less. It's less a matter of, like, working out what is right for the poem. It's more a matter of trying to work out whose voice to listen to. Mm. Because people will say lots of different things. And ultimately, you leave feeling a bit stupid. Mm. And I'd often leave um, feeling like I don't know anything about poetry. I've totally overlooked a bunch of stuff. I've not read enough people. And I'd just, like, be sort of whispering to myself on the way home from workshops like that, being like, yeah, but none of them can name any of Burnley's strikers. And I I can name all of them. Um... (laughs) Uh, and so, like, there's there's that framework. There was also the, like, the communal, genuine communal, like, I am sharing these poems with my friends. You know, I have shared poems with, like, Daisy Henwood and Rishi Dastadar and, like, uh, Ella Frears and, like, loads of other people who I know through poetry. Poetry is a small community um, who have offered me, like, invaluable, wonderful feedback. Um, and then there was a the very specific thing of like working with an editor Mm. so I worked with Jane Kamain who is the editor at Nine Arches Press um and she is phenomenal I have I had worked with her before because I was part of a scheme called Primers um which was about like finding new voices a few years ago so Jane had edited my poems before but she'd not edited poems like this um and it was incredible because she like approached the poems entirely on their own terms she was like cool so this is this is how I'm reading this poem, and, and 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 because we had gone through the system of like I had submitted a manuscript in their open submissions window, and she had accepted it, mm. so I sort of knew that she liked the poems. Yeah. Um. And there was less of a sort of line by line thing. There were some things where she was, you know, she was really helpful, and she like picks up ticks that you do. She was like, "You said pink so many times." Oh,
1: int- Yeah. And
2: yeah. um, and then like there was a review of the book the other day, which i didn't read why would i read reviews i definitely don't read reviews um and they were like oh he uses the word blood a lot and i was like oh yeah i do i use the word blood all the time um and and so like there's stuff like that that you've got to run that line between like is this a recurring motif Mm. or could i not think of another word yeah yeah um cerulean um crimson etc but so like um there was really useful stuff like that that jane did um there was also sort of like really useful ordering things that she did um like this I was fairly certain I knew how I wanted this ordered anyway because I wanted like every other poem to be a boy poem mm-hmm. um yes. there is a vague chronology like he starts it starts with boy being born it ends with him getting married but also like pick up the book and read it in whatever whatever order you want or just read three poems and if you like them just stick with them and read them over and over again again it's, like, it's more like an album in that way, like listen, listen, listen to, listen every to the single, hits. Single, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, like it's that. So, so that was a lot of my experience working with it. But also, I just, I just think that um, I believe really de- a lot of this poem is about a lot of this book is about like sensitivity and tenderness. Mm. And Jane was very sensitive and very tender with all of these poems, and that was that was a really lovely thing to experience. Um, whilst at the and in in that. I think we sort of um valorize like resilience a bit too much in, mm. in in writing and publishing, being like, you've got to be able to like have your work torn apart, you've got to be like yeah. robust and, and I'm like, nah, I'm a sensitive person. Yeah. I am a tender boy. Yeah. Like I sometimes need to be treated tenderly. And um and that's exactly what what was done. Um and so yeah, I'm I'm delighted with like the the the, the final product, but I'm also I'm also still sort of shivering and, and sensitive about it and being like ah, I don't know um, so but they, we got to quite a logical point where we were like ah, it's just got to go out in the world now done, so that yeah. was the editing tweak process it forever for me. I guess yeah I well it's the like you know so the, the uh, either Paul Valery or W H Auden one of them said um, the poem is never finished simply abandoned and like I've now broadly abandoned boy. <laughs> He's like You've on,
1: abandoned this collection. On
2: his own in a train station. You know the way people sometimes like leave books mm-hmm. on train stations with little stickers saying like mm-hmm. pass it on um, or like uh, June Carter Cash in um, Walk the Line. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if she actually did this in real life but she like, she like gives Johnny Cash a book and she says when I finished with one hour, give it away. Maybe that's, yeah, maybe that's you abandon You'd give the boy. Giving the
1: boy away, yeah. But if you give, give, him, away. give
2: him away, buy a new copy for yourself and buy the Meg. <laughs>
1: Good. Good.
2: Again, can't edit that this is, out No, no
1: got to keep it in. That's yes. good. I love it. Um, I'm going to ask one pandemic-related question, oh, yeah. which it, I'm, I just wanted to. You recently had your book launch mm-hmm. at Norwich Arts Centre. I did. Um, how did it feel to be back on stage performing? And how has this entire the process of you mentioned that this book wasn't written during the, the mm. pandemic, but it's been published yeah. and gone out into the world at a very strange time. Um what has that been like?
2: So I was really pleased that I managed to do um a like live launch. We had thirty people socially distanced in a in a big room, um, and we live streamed it. So that was a delight. It's Felt amazing to like have stuff on stage. If you if you see the pictures of the event, then I look like a sort of combination of like um, proud PE teacher on on Parents' <laughs> Evening, who's suddenly like you know is wearing a shirt and feels a bit uncomfortable about it, um, or I look like a sort of groovy priest who's like trying to like who's trying to convince like young parishioners to come in, so he, and he'll like wrap the service or something. Um, so that's sort of a pretty good roundup of my 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 two registers on the night that was incredible like um signing books for people was a joy sanitizing one's hands in between not always as fun but necessary like feeling that sort of again that community right like and it i do know what actually doing it in a pandemic was nice in one way because you didn't have to do the schmoozing that often goes down with doing book launches Mm. there was no sort of like cheap crap, red wine being drifted round by someone's mum. Uh, There were no cheese boards. Yeah. And there was just people being like, we really like this and we want to support you. And that was, that was, that was really nice. And there were strangers there. That's what I really liked. Oh, even
1: better. There were a bunch
2: of people who I didn't even know and were like, oh, we just heard about this, thought it might be fun.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, So yeah, it was a delight in terms of like a book coming out mid pandemic. I think i'm in a luckier position than some uh my friend brought a book out last year and like not being able to and i think she did her first public reading of it last week and so like uh well done to like ella fris and rachel long and um will harris and all the people who who brought out books in the last year and you know not amongst a pandemic there's weird stuff like you know you do an online reading and then you know perform to like 60 70 people and then you close your laptop and you're like Whew. what do i do now yeah. there's like a like weird energy release mm. um but but broadly uh, you know it's it's been okay i don't know you know i think more is uh, i'm i'm genuinely just trying to be delighted with the thing. Um, I think it's very easy for the goalposts to shift, um, you know, to get caught up in like prize culture Mm -hmm. and being like, well, I didn't get nominated for this or I didn't get nominated for this or um, sales. I have no idea how many books I've sold. Mm. I have no idea how many were printed. I've just not asked because I just... Uh, Seems I, healthy, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, like, obviously I'm reading reviews, but, like, even reviews, like, you know, you don't want to... Um, you, you you can get caught up, especially in social media, of, like, so-and-so has read this or so-and-so has posted about this, and I'm really just trying to step back from it mm. as much as I can. It's it's not always successful, but, like, um, I am just delighted that I made a thing, and I'm really, really proud of it. And, um... It doesn't, you know, if it was a piece of visual art, I don't want it to, like... It doesn't necessarily have to hang in a gallery for years. But knowing... Knowing especially that, like... Like, I know that, like, young men are reading this book. Yeah. Like, my publisher donated, I think, like, a 100 to state schools. Brilliant. um, For, like, sick formers. Um, I've had, like, people... There is, like... I suppose like this is a content warning for the book there's stuff about like suicidal ideation in there there's stuff about anxiety there's stuff about uh being very sad and um uh, a friend of mine who's uh who who lost somebody to to suicide um said that she wished that like he'd read it and Genuinely, like, that, if that was it, like, we can get really tied up in numbers and prizes and all of that stuff. Um, sometimes necessarily in terms of, like, finance and, like, keeping ourselves afloat. But, like, really genuinely, if that's, if, if all that happens is my pal is like, I wish my brother had read this. Mm. And if somebody else's brother reads it and it helps, again, it doesn't have answers. But if mm. it helps somebody to ask the right question or a helpful question... Then I've done my bit and and it helped me, so yeah, felt like we just had a sort of uh uh, a door slam, and it felt like that was a sort of mic drop on my emotional. <laughs> that moment. was
1: the that was the mic drop in the background there. Cool. Yes, we're uh, operating out of Dragon Hall, so there's some movement from other staff around.
2: Well, it's better than um, like a delivery van driving past our window whilst we're like doing this on Zoom. The right? reverse
1: beep. Yeah
2: yeah, 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 yeah.
1: There's been no children interrupting us or anything yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. that. It's been quite peaceful, really, hasn't <laughs> it? But um, well, thank you so much for joining me and for speaking to us. And it is a fantastic collection it's absolutely wonderful and i hope many other people will go out and buy it and read it and share it are you looking forward have you got anything else i mean you're always busy i have Mm. to say whenever i see you you're up to your eyeballs you're always doing so much but what's next are you are you writing are you looking towards future collections
2: so i am writing at the moment um more non-fiction and i'm writing about exercise and Mm. um my, and I'm writing about mental health, my mental health, much like my abdominal muscles, currently lacks definition. Mm. (laughs) Uh, So I am on a, I'm on a journey with that at the moment. I'm on a journey. Yeah. And so I'm writing about that. And I'm quite excited about a project that I'm working on called Exercising with Ghosts. And that will either be some sort of like, nonfiction thing, or it might be a show or something like that. And I'm doing a lot of teaching, I'm working with young people, a lot of people, young people with special educational needs or um, who are new And in September, hopefully, I am doing some gigs. Yay. And that would be nice to, to be in a space with some gigs. Um, and I continue to run the poetry company that I run, which is called Toast, uh, with my co-director, Daisy. And we just got a grant to be able to, again, hopefully, put on shows and do education projects through 2021 and 22.
1: Amazing. But yeah,
0: thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening and thanks for Lewis for coming back on the pod. If you have any questions about this episode or anything else we do, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Writers Centre. You can check out our Facebook page or head over to our website at nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk where you'll also find links to join up to our weekly newsletter and our Discord community. Please do
1: subscribe, rate and review the podcast because it helps other people to find us. And as a UK registered charity, we rely on the generosity of our supporters to make our work possible. Please do consider making a donation today by heading over to the National Centre for Writing website and clicking the Support Us button. Thanks again, keep writing and we'll catch you on the next episode.